Welcome to Alpha and Omega Ministries International. This ministry is committed to bringing apostolic alignment and restoration of the values and principles of the Kingdom of God to the body of Christ. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. Praise the Lord. So, <clears throat> our study this morning is on the nature of a disciple. So let's open up in prayer before the ministry of the Word and trust the Lord too. Anoint both speaker and listener and hearer and see what the Lord will minister to each one of us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for the ministry of the Word. We value your Word, Lord, and we bow before your Word because your Word is alive in us. And it is your Word that you did send and healed and delivered us from all of our sorrows and destructions. So we thank you for the ministry of your word. And we pray that you would give us open ears this morning. And a sensitive heart to embrace truth and be changed and transformed by it. Help us to see things we have not seen before. Understand truth that we have not understood before. And Lord, we promise that we will not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And I'm going to be reading these verses from the King James Version. Please note that the Lord is addressing those who believed on Him. He was not speaking to those who did not believe in Him, did not accept Him as the Messiah, but He was speaking to believers. Because the Word says, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My word, then are ye My disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you continue in my word, then, Jesus said, you are my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now let's look at once again the definition of a disciple. The Greek word for the disciple is mathitis which means someone who is a learner or an apprentice, learning from another. In this case, in the biblical sense of the word, a disciple is one who remains and continues in the word of God. Jesus said this person abides in the truth. In other words, he lives by the truth, that is revealed to him. Or in other words, because we do not have all the truth. But the truth that a disciple has, or the light that he has received, he walks in that light. And he walks in the truth that's been revealed to him by the Spirit through the Word of God. So, a disciple is one who not only lives by the Word, but gives the Word of God first place in his life, 
And as a result of that, he gets to intimately know the truth. The kind of knowledge that Jesus is referring to here, you shall know the truth, is not head knowledge, but heart knowledge. There is a major difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. In the Greek, there are two different words. The word knowledge in Greek is gnosis. The, word, the revelation knowledge is called epignosis. So he's talking about head knowledge and heart knowledge. So the knowledge that Jesus is talking about here is heart knowledge. You know, from your own experience and mine, we know a lot of things in our head. But that does not change our behavior. You can know certain things without that knowledge affecting your attitude or your behavior. But heart knowledge, heart knowledge is knowledge that is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit directly. As we read the Word, as we obey the Word, as we meditate the Word, the Spirit of God drops that kind of knowledge in our hearts, which we call revelation knowledge. Now, this kind of knowledge empowers the believer to walk in the truth that is revealed to him. In other words, let me give you an example. If I say, I know God, that knowledge I possess of God empowers me to walk with Him. It enables me to walk with God whom I say I know. Let me give you another example. If I profess to know the love of God, then I am empowered by the love I know and experience to love people and to walk in love towards everyone. So it's not just head knowledge, it's heart knowledge and experience. Because I've experienced the love of God, then I can walk towards others in that love that I possess or know or experience. Do you see the difference? Many believers today know that God loves them, but they still continue to live in fear and anxiety. That head knowledge they have does not empower them to overcome their anxieties or their fears or their insecurities and uncertainties. That means they know God loves them in the head, but it has not become a revelation in their hearts or a living experience. So there's a vast difference between mental ascent and head knowledge and revelation knowledge. So revelation knowledge leads to action. It is not passive or inactive. We conclude, therefore, that the fruit of discipleship is an intimate knowledge of the truth. If you abide in my word, you shall know the truth. That knowledge is intimate knowledge. And the result of that intimate knowledge is freedom in the Holy Spirit. So if you're a disciple, and you walk with the Lord, and you walk in the truth that you and I have received, then we come to know. That word know is an intimate word. We come to know the truth. 
or have a revelation of the truth. And that kind of knowledge empowers us to walk in the freedom and in the liberty of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it now? That's what Jesus meant in John 8, 31 and 32. Therefore, discipleship enables us to walk close to God. We understand His ways, and we are given insight into the way God thinks. See, the difference between, in the Old Covenant, Moses and the children of Israel, the Bible says that the children of Israel saw the acts of God, but Moses understood His ways. So a disciple is one who comes into the inner chambers of God, he understands the way God thinks, and he understands why God does what he does. Because he has revelation or insight knowledge of the ways of God and the mind of God. That's why discipleship is one of the fundamental and foundational principles of the kingdom of God. Amen? Are you with me so far? So discipleship brings us into the inner chamber where God's secrets are revealed. Psalm 25 verse 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with them who fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. If you fear the Lord, you will obey the Lord. Amen? Because fear of God is deep reverence that enables you to walk in obedience. God will show His covenant to those who are being discipled by the Word of God. So, if that is the case, then God reveals His secrets and He guides those who are being discipled or those who are obedient to His Word. Don't ask for divine guidance if you're not willing to obey the Lord and go where He leads. That's why many believers don't get answers when it comes to direction and guidance because they come to God, but God looks at the heart, but they're not willing to yield and obey the Lord when He gives them certain directions. So why would God give you direction if you're not willing to go the way He directs you? It's like my wife. She always asks me, what color do you prefer? Now we we bind curtains or whatever. And she asks for my opinion, and I say, I like this one. But every time she asks me, she always goes for the one she wants. So I said, why do you even bother asking me? You know what you want. Why do you ask me if you're not going to choose what I want? So I said, go ahead and do it. Don't even ask me. And sometimes we go to the Lord, but we've already made up our minds what we're going to do. So God says, go ahead, do it. The secret is coming to the Lord with an empty heart and say, Lord, empty of yourself, of your desire, of your ways and of your ambitions, and then like an empty cup coming before the Lord so God can give you His direction. Not making up your mind what you're going to do. And then you go to Him, God, well not. If you're not willing to obey Him, why would He give you direction? Hello? You with me? Well, you're quiet. I pray you are with me. So he reveals his will and his plans to those who are willing to walk with him and be discipled by his word. We did say last time that discipleship frees us 
from the tyranny of self, selfishness, and pride. And only discipleship can do that. It cultivates Christ-like character and brings us into spiritual maturity. Opens a whole new world for us that an ordinary believer cannot discover. Is what I call the undiscovered country. And many believers have not discovered this country that God opens up or this promised land uh, to us if we are willing to be discipled. And deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him daily. Amen? So, that's why discipleship will take you out of your own realm of limitations. And place you into a whole new world of possibilities. That is awesome. That is really awesome. In ourselves, we are limited. Limited in what we can do. Limited in every sphere of life. But discipleship places us into another world that is filled with possibilities. Because we are believers. All things are possible to those who believe. Now, one more thing that it does... Discipleship will enlarge our vision in life and connect us to God's vision and give us an opportunity to become part of something that is far greater than ourselves. Can you, can you see the benefits of discipleship? You connect with God. You connect with His will in your life. And that opens up a whole new world for you. Your vision becomes broader and larger. Your influence in Christ is multiplied because you're connected with God's vision. And God has the nations on His heart. And you become part of something much greater than yourself or your own immediate family. You become an instrument in the hands of God to bless and influence many people because you have become a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And He takes you from small beginnings to greater things in life. Always He does that. I thank God. When I connected with God's dream for my life, I was introduced to a whole new world. A whole new world of possibilities. I would never have dreamt living in Fort Victoria, Masvingo, those years, uh, um, being a businessman in a little small town. I would have never dreamt that I would be where I am today. But because I connected with God's vision by being a disciple, He began to take me from the little to the greater, one step at a time. He would give me enough light, just enough in front of me, and if I walked into that light, He would take me deeper and further. And that's how God works with us. He will never dump you into somewhere without preparing you first. That's why He's so gentle, so loving, and so understanding of our human makeup. Amen. That's our Heavenly Father. So, discipleship, changes everything about us. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we behave. 
the way we respond to things as we learn to follow the Lord wherever He leads us. Now, I'm going to make a statement which is true of the nature of a disciple. Comfort or happiness, pleasure, entitlement or self-preservation is not what the disciple asks or seeks, but the extension of God's kingdom on the earth, even at the cost of his own comfort or pleasure. That is the nature of a true disciple. It's not happiness he seeks. It's not comfort. It's not pleasure. He does not even seek to preserve himself. But he seeks the extension of the kingdom of God, even at the cost of sacrifice and his own pleasure and comfort. That's a disciple. Disciples are sold out to God. And their prayers are summed up in one sentence. The whole life, the whole prayers are summed up. They're not selfish. Most of our prayers are very self-centered, if not all. Bless me and mine, us four and no more. Yes. (laughs) Amen. Give me my daily bread, Lord. And our prayers never go beyond our own selves or our own immediate family. But a disciple's prayer life and his, his entire life is summed up in this one sentence. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the nature of a disciple. And I dare say that for most of us, if not all, this is so uncommon and unfamiliar territory. Modern Christianity has made it so comfortable and so self-centered. And to be honest with you, I blame, uh, not partially, but mostly the preachers and the teachers of the gospel. We preach a one-sided, humanistic, self-centered gospel that produces no disciples today. We are soft on sin. Repentance is hardly ever preached in fear of chasing people away. So we we want crowds. Come on in, come on in. But Jesus was the very first one to thin the crowds out. Our thinking is wrong. I would rather have five disciples than 5,000 believers. Because with five disciples who are sold out to God, you can do much more than with 5,000 people who are lukewarm, backslidden, and indifferent to the things of God. Come on, say amen if you agree with me. Hallelujah. Yes. (laughs) What we're, looking for, what we're looking for today is disciples. There's a difference between a believer and a disciple. True salvation costs you nothing. But true discipleship costs you everything. Becoming saved, all you have to do is come to the cross and accept Jesus as Savior. Becoming a disciple requires that you abandon all, take up the cross daily and follow Jesus. It's costly. 
but we need to preach both sides of the gospel. God is a God of love, but He's also a God of judgment. He is a holy God. And He expects from us holiness and perfection. Amen? Yes, the Lord can receive us as we come to Him just as we are, but He does not leave us the way we are. He begins to discipline us. That's where we get the word from? Discipleship. It involves discipline. So, as I said, for most of us, this is uncommon and unfamiliar territory. Such Christianity is foreign. But this is what the disciples of old were like. like. This is the very nature of a disciple. Now, In the days of the Lord Jesus, many followed his earthly ministry. Many followed him. But for most, their motives were purely selfish. They were hungry, so Jesus fed them. They were sick, Jesus healed them. They were demon-possessed, Jesus delivered them. And he will do the same things for us today. I mean, when I came to the Lord, I was totally broken, spirit, soul, and body. There was no further down that I could go. I reached rock bottom. But when I came to Him, He ministered His love and delivered me. He healed my soul. He took away the loneliness and put His love into my heart. And I was no longer broken. But the the unfortunate thing today is that even though God ministers to us His unconditional love, and we come to Him broken and in need, and there's nothing wrong with that, and Jesus heals and delivers and ministers His love to us, but this unconditional love, without the fear of the Lord, does not change our behavior. We are satisfied and content to live without the Lordship of Jesus, without the influence of His Lordship in our lives. Are you with me? That's why we have to balance the love of God with the fear of the Lord. I would, I've heard the testimonies of famous evangelists back in the 1980, who went into uh, abominable things. They were on TV every day, preaching to thousands. One of them ended up in jail. So when John Bevere visited him once, he said, he said, John, I've always loved the Lord. Always, even when I was doing those things. But what was lacking in my life was the fear of the Lord. I didn't fear the Lord as the Word of God declares. And you know, only the fear of the Lord can, can remove evil from your life. It will take you on another path, the path of discipleship. Amen. Amen. Come on. We emphasize so much the love of God, the love of God, and it's right, and it's good, but what about the fear of the Lord? Without the fear of the Lord, we will continue to live in a rebellious state. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, we are content, we're comfortable to live outside of that realm of the influence of the Lordship of Jesus. And because of it, because we continue in that, in that realm, we live in a cycle of spiritual immaturity. 
and defeat. One day up, the next day down, in and out, up and down, hot and cold. Our dreams are small. Why? Because they're self-centered. They are tainted with selfishness. That's why they're small. Our prayers never go beyond our own interests. And yet Paul admonishes the disciples of his day and he says to them in Philippians 2.4, Look out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Not a few, many. That word many is often mentioned both by Jesus and Paul. Paul said to the Philippians, For many walk, as I have even told you before, and now even weeping that there are many who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He's not speaking about ungodly, worldly people. He's speaking about believers who deny the power of the cross to deliver them from self, selfishness, and pride. Refusing to crucify the flesh. These are real things, folks. We sing the songs. We go to church. We pay our tithes. But deep down within our heart, we have not denied self or our rights. Amen. We don't want to sacrifice. We will serve God if it's convenient. We will serve God if it doesn't cost too much. We will serve God if it pays me. But if it doesn't pay, what's in it for me? We look for churches. We shop around like we shop in supermarkets. Where is the cheapest place? What can this church do for me? But a mature disciple does not question that way. What can I do for this church? When you join a church, a disciple thinks this way. How can I make this place a better place? What can I give to this place that will become better before, after I join it? Not what you can do for me, Pastor, but what I can do for you. Oh, it's too quiet in here. You know, a disciple makes decisions on the influence of the Lordship of Jesus. There was a time in, in, in Fort Victoria, it was the year of 1980. Fear spread among the white community. Because in 1980, Zimbabwe received their independence and a black government came into power. Can you imagine the fear, the stress, and the anxiety and insecurity that permeated the white community? Everybody was leaving. Left, right, and center. The churches were emptying out. Friends of ours within the same community sold the business and the houses next to nothing. Out of fear because they didn't know what was going to happen next. And so I was part of a of a local church there, and um, I was there for already three years. And you know, the, the church emptied out. All was left was a few old ladies, 75 and up. And I was one of the two young people that were in the church. 
The pastor fell ill, his wife fell ill, went into depression. It was a terrible state of that congregation. And so I became very unhappy, very despondent, and very discouraged, and I wanted to leave. You know, but I couldn't leave until I prayed about it first. And you know, when you pray about it, make sure you hear from God and not from your own emotions. We prayed about it, Pastor, and the Lord led us this. But if I ask them, how did God speak to you? What is the scripture that he used to direct you? They can't give me a scripture. So I started praying. In those days, I was manning the gun up on, uh, on the convoy. We had convoys in those days taking people, vehicles from one city to the next. There was one armored vehicle in front, one in the middle, and one in the back. Because there were terrorist attacks on the, on the way from one city to the next. I was in the middle vehicle, and I was up on the gun, and there was a driver down. And up there, I would shout, I would cry, I would pray, I would quote the word. Nothing else to do. Manning the gun and looking for anyone who is attacking you. I said, Lord, I'm tired. I want to leave. It's my time. You know, God didn't tell me what to do. He just showed me what he would do. And as I was praying and after I finished, I listened. John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But a hireling who's not the good shepherd, when he sees the wolf coming, he runs and he leaves the sheep and the wolf tears them up and scatters them. I didn't need any more direction. I repented and I said, God, forgive me for my selfishness. It was like the Spirit of God was saying to me, Son, this is the hour that this congregation needs you the most. They are in trouble. The wolf has come and he, the pastor is sick and is ready to scatter this flock. They need you the most. They need your tithe. They need your support. They need your encouragement. And what do you want to do? You want to run from them? I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. I said, forgive me, Lord. I repent. I stayed for another three years. Within six months of that prayer that I prayed to the Lord, God brought a new pastor, a young pastor with his wife. We became very friendly. Henry Jackson, you met him, the farmer from Zimbabwe. We became very good friends. And three years afterwards, I received the call to go into the ministry and minister to the Greek community. And both of us fasted for three days and nights. And he laid hands on me and released me to go into the ministry of which I am functioning in still today. I'm giving you an example what a disciple would do. How a disciple thinks. He does it. He thinks of God's will, God's kingdom and others first before himself. It was very uncomfortable for me staying in that church. I didn't want to. My flesh didn't want to. I wanted to run away. But when I heard the word of the Lord. Man, my heart melted, and I felt for myself, how could you be so selfish? They need you the most, and all you think about is running away? Hello? When you join a firm, when you join a ministry, here you are a joy. What are you thinking? Do you think about, what can I get out of this ministry? 
Or are you saying, how can I make this ministry more fruitful, more productive, more attractive? That is a disciple. Amen. So Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. Why? Because wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in it. Because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. That's why Jesus said many are called, but few are chosen. Why? Because few are willing to pay the price to receive that anointing and to receive the favor and the grace of God. So many struggle today either in their marriage or either financially. But the problem is not the problem. I have come to understand that what appears to be is not. The problem is much deeper than that. You can trace every problem that you face back to this. You're not a disciple. You're not obeying the Word of God in some area of your life. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all of these things will be added to you. Amen? What appears to be in the natural, the problem, most times is not the problem. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual problem. How do we enter the narrow gate which leads to life and freedom in the Holy Spirit? By receiving Jesus as Lord, not just as Savior. He cannot save you until He's your Lord. And the New Testament does not give us the option to receive Jesus as Savior or as Lord. Nowhere in the New Testament... In fact, you will find the word Lord about 600 times in the New Testament and Savior only a few times. The New Testament does not give us that option. Why is it that we preach that option? Hello? By accepting His Lordship and embracing truth and allowing the truth to change us. There are only two choices in life. Two masters. And we cannot serve both of them. One is self, the other is Christ. Now I'm going to conclude with this. When I got born again and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues, man, it was a whole new world of experience for me. But after a few months, the honeymoon period ended. And um, I noticed that I, I, be, I began to become more selfish, back to my old ways. We used to fight a lot with my wife. Now we don't, we just argue sometimes. And in one of those heated arguments that I had, my wife and I, prior to my conversion, whenever something like that happened, I always ran away. That was my thing. Just run away from it. Well, this time I did too. I got into my car and I drove away from the house angry, frustrated. Lord, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I can't take this anymore. And I'm driving and speeding off to Mutare. Where I was going, I, I don't know. I just wanted to get away from it. It was a beautiful 
wintry, sunny day, clear sky. As I sped away, I looked up into the sky, and God gave me a supernatural sign. In that blue sky, I saw a white cross, and beneath that cross were written the words in Greek, and duto nika. That was the name of my first ministry when I went to the Greeks. And Dudoniga means, in this you shall conquer. Where after a while I calmed down and I drove back home. But that vision I saw shook me. What was God telling me? What does this mean? I opened the front pages of my Bible and put the cross and the letters that I saw and began to meditate. And I understood by the revelation of the Spirit. Son, embrace the cross and you will conquer. Receive the power of the death of Jesus. That's what the cross is. And unless we experience the dying of the Lord, we cannot experience the resurrection of the Lord. True life is birthed out of death. From that day forward, the Spirit of God and the Word of God began to dismantle myself, my selfishness, and my pride. You heard Paul say, I die daily. That's what I experience sometimes. Death to my own opinions. My opinions don't matter anymore. It's what God thinks. I would yield when we come to a disagreement with my wife. I would yield rather than insist on having my own way. That's what the cross does for you folks. It goes to the root of the problem and kills your pride, your selfishness and your ego, your selfish ambitions and your selfish dreams. And as we empty through death, God fills us with his life. That's why Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for my sake and the gospel, you're going to find it again. Was there pain in it? Much. There is much suffering in dying to self, in crucifying the flesh that wants to do his own thing still. I look forward when we receive a new body. But until then, this is the one we have to deal with every day. Two choices. That quality decision I made that day to be a disciple of the Lord, to take up my cross, has carried me for 41 years. It had helped me to stand as a rock in the midst of persecution, opposition, malignment, I stood. Why? By the grace of God that enabled me by yielding to the power of the cross. When my flesh screamed, wanted to run, what kept me going to this day was that quality decision I made. Lord, I will follow you wherever you lead me. I will go where you send me. I will do what you command me to do. In the cold and in the rain, in the summer and in the heat. In good times, in bad times. 
I came to the Lord. My wife took three years to come to Christ. She would watch me like a hawk because I broke her trust. And trust isn't built so easily. And sometimes I would bargain with the Lord. I'd say, Lord, if you bring my wife, then I will go where you want. God says, you don't bargain with me. Until I said, I'll serve you with her or without her. Are you a disciple today or you're just a churchgoer? Do you filter the decisions you make, your family makes, through the Word? Or do you just do what you feel is best at the time and what's convenient? Choose the Lord's way. Choose the discipleship way. Let's pray. Can we stand? There's a strong anointing of the word here this morning. And I'm going to ask you to make a decision. If you are not a disciple yet, and you know it, I'm confronting you with this decision to be a disciple at home, to be a disciple at work, everywhere. What is your response? Throughout the word, God challenges us to a decision. Choose you this day, he says, whom you will serve. Behold, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you and your children after you may live. There are so much, uh, so many benefits of a disciple. It costs, but the price you pay cannot be compared with the blessing and the reward that follows. So decide. Choose. And make a quality decision from which there is no return. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your challenge. We thank you for confronting us with truth this morning. And we thank you for the grace that your Spirit provides in enabling us and empowering us to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will today and every day as we walk with you, so that we may walk in a way that is pleasing to you and be fruitful in every good work. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomegaint.org.za.